0: This is an 8-iron and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. takes a a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me.
1: Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite and it's in. Kind of like that!
0: I would like to welcome the winner of 15 professional events around the world, Scott Henn, of the Sub-70 Podcast. Scott, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. My pleasure. Well, pretty damn good start to the season, uh, leading the uh, Order of Merit on the Asian PGA Tour, uh, recent win at the Maybank Championship at the end of the March. What one or two things has really clicked for you this year for uh, this uh, high level of golf that you're certainly playing?
1: I just just got over some injuries that I had last year. I got, got hurt early in the season last year. Uh, and then it just sort of lingered on a lot and, and didn't really bode too well for me trying to do any practice or anything. So managed to get rid of some of that and just been working pretty hard at trying to get things to turn around. Yeah,
0: uh, One of our, our, our listeners um, sent a message on Twitter, you may have saw it too, and he was wondering how much – I think this question was, how much of it was, is it physical with you being healthy, practicing, and how much was it of self-belief that, you know, mentally you knew you were playing well and the confidence was there? You know, where's that balance between both, or is it just a combination of both all coming together?
1: Uh, uh, It's sort of like three things. Obviously, one is you've got to be happy with your equipment. And I was having some driver issues with, you know, drivers not behaving how I wanted to, but that also came down to uh, having a, a bulging disc in my back. And then once, once you get the injuries, then all of a sudden your confidence wanes a little bit. So they all tie into each other. So first things first was to try and get uh, a little bit you know, stronger and, and try and get over the injuries. And then uh, once I was there, I could figure out my equipment. And now i figured the equipment out the confidence grows. And I mean, it, I'm, I've never doubted that I can win. It's just a matter of being physically able to and then having the right equipment set up to your, to your, to your swing and, and the way you want to play.
0: Uh, the week you won at the Maybank, you had a, a a shot in the third round, and I'm sure it was all over social media, so I'm sure a lot of listeners saw it, where you had a third shot in the 18th hole, which is a par 5. And I don't ever recall anyone being creative enough to use the backstop of a grandstand to bounce the ball back off that. How did you see yeah, well- that golf shot, and how did you think about pulling that off to actually... You know, it's a gutsy shot that you pulled off is actually pretty amazing. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Yeah, but um see so with with that
1: that grandstand there, for all the years we've been playing that tournament, it's been a very enclosed area. Now, unfortunately a couple of years ago I hit a shot, uh, got a floor out of the rough of a wedge, actually hit the glass. There's about a four foot panel of glass which is above the wood, and the ball went scuttling back across the green under the downslope of a bunker. So, you know, I, People say I got lucky this time. I've, I've, had my, I've had my bad luck with that grandstand as well. But you know, we go to tournaments and we've got carries over water to par fives like in, in Qatar and the grandstands behind the green. Now, so if you hit it into the grandstand, you get to the drop zone. I mean, obviously, if there's it, if people standing behind the green, I'm not going to try that shot. But there's, there was 12 feet of wood plus there's another four feet of, of glass there. And I'm hitting a low six iron from a, you know, from a 120... Twenty-seven hundred and thirty meters. The ball's not going to fly into the into the grandstand, and, and it's not like there's people sitting there. There's a couple of people standing up. The the grandstand's only two paces from the edge of the green, so you know it's going to come back off. And it's just one of those shots that I had to play. I mean, we're, we're trying to shoot the lowest score we possibly can, and if that's the way I got to do it, that's the way I got to do it. I mean, fortunately in professional golf, we have these these grandstands that we can use. Uh, they're they're permanent structures they're immovable ob, uh, obstructions so if we get swing relief or we get a drop into a drop zone
0: well the the creativity of that shot was pretty amazing like i said it's uh hey it worked out good right simple par from it but very cool shot to see of the creativity to you know use the use what's in front of you and, and try to make the best score but uh very impressed with the creativity and pulling that one off to say the least the rest of the season, are you going to be playing more on the European tour or the Asian tour, or where do you see the, kind of the rest of the season because that was a co-sanctioned event, so you kind of have some, some options, I'm assuming, to kind of lay the rest of your schedule out?
1: Yeah, well, it's, um, the way the, the European tour is scheduled is, is sort of for the rest of the year. It's, it's sort of allowing me to go to Asia, try and chase down another Order of Merit title, and they get the exemption next year for the, uh, the open championship in Mexico and also, uh, try and play at HSBC at the end of the, the end of this year, um, being exempt in Europe for this year, too, it sort of opens up a lot of, sort of doors for me to be a little bit freer with what I need to do. And I do we're playing in Asia. I love supporting the Asian tour. So, um, I'm going to try and pick some bigger events, go and play in Asia, go to Korea a little bit more. And, um, keep my sponsors happy in career, and, you know, just enjoy golf again, which
0: is what I try to do. You've played your best golf professionally in your 40s with wins all over the world. The game, some people say, has gone, you know, younger. We see these guys coming out of college and, and, you know, winning regularly and quickly. And that learning curve doesn't seem to be as, as fast as it, it had been in the past. But then on the flip side, you see like Tiger just winning the Masters, Phil winning this year, you winning in your 40s. How have you managed to play your best golf on the professional level into your 40s compared to, say, your 20s or 30s?
1: Uh, as, as has been you know, well-documented, I I'm, I'm, I'm seem to be a, a little bit calmer, a bit more sort of centered, not as, not as hot-headed as I used to be. So that just allows me to accept. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm, a, I'm an angel or anything, but I accept sometimes my bad shots a little bit better than I used to, accept making a bogey a bit better than I used to, um, I still find it hard to accept, but I get over it a lot quicker. and I don't let it, you know, simmer down there and, and affect the rest of my game. And, you know, being able to have the experience and, and sit back and think, okay, well, this is how a tournament may unfold instead of trying to push things is also a another thing which, you know, maybe getting a bit older, a bit, bit more patience has sort of helped that way.
0: With all the wins you've had around the world, is there one that stands out to you as, as the most important one in your career?
1: I do, I mean, I know it's a small, small tournament, but I, I won uh, the Queensland Open in Australia, which was, uh, you know, it was a pretty big, big thing for me because, you know, Greg Norman, Baker Finch, all these guys have got their name on the trophy there. And and then obviously, uh, you know, Hong Kong Open is another big one, which is really, I found amazing. So, you know they're all special and I wouldn't give any one of them back and you know, you're very lucky to win some guys are lucky to win once or twice in their career I've been very lucky to win numerous times and I've I've loved them all
0: If we can look back how did how did you start playing golf back in Australia and then then how did your amateur career turn into a professional career
1: Well I played a lot of cricket I played a lot of cricket baseball and all other sports and then uh, my father uh, decided to take up golf, and the age of 12, I went out and caddied for him. And the only thing I was interested in when I was 12 was looking at all the wildlife, you know, and uh, Miri Golf Course in Raymond Terrace, but dad was playing golf, and used to look at all the koala bears and kangaroos and all the all the birds and stuff. And, you know, I didn't really take up golf until I got to probably, you know, 14 years old, and then used to go to golf with my dad, and I'd go play the junior stuff. We'd play nine-hole golf course. We moved to uh, Laverton. In Victoria, my dad was in the air force, so we moved around quite a bit. Though I ended up playing at nine-hole golf courses all the time on the RAF bases. So uh, just started playing that way, and then I uh, was still heavily involved in playing cricket, good old Australian sport, indoor cricket and outdoor cricket, and all the other sports I could. And decided at, uh, at a point of you know 17 years old that uh, I've had enough of playing the team sports, and I think I am just going to concentrate on the golf and. All of a sudden, golf sort of, uh, you know, it's all-encompassing and it's it's very addictive once you get into it. And for me, it was very addictive, and that's all I wanted to do. So, golf it was.
0: I've never played cricket. Is there some similarities in the body rotation and body movement? If you can, are most cricketers good golfers, and vice versa? Is there some crossover between the two?
1: Yeah, it's it's. it's it's like the hand-eye coordination. It's it's a, it's a lot like the hockey players.
0: Every time I go to Canada, I end up
1: playing with hockey players. A lot of them are left, well, most of the majority are left-handed. And it's just the swinging of a, like a baseball bat. It's a 45 degree angle and you just bring the club to a 45 degree angle to the ground and baseball, it's more of a, a flat plane. You know, cricket, you're playing a straight drive or you're playing a cuts, you're using your hands. It's just, it, it's a lot of uh, hand-eye coordination and, You know, in those sports, yeah, you're hitting a moving ball, but in golf, the ball's stationary, and a lot of guys seem to pick it up a lot, you know, pretty quickly that way.
0: Hey, everyone, it's Jason from the Sub 70 Podcast. Uh, The season is definitely in full swing. We are really getting busy at Sub 70 Golf, so we want to thank you all for all of that. Uh, Any needs you have from forged irons to forged wedges to game improvement golf clubs, hybrids, uh, fairway woods as well we have the pro fairway wood that just came in which uh, is being tested currently on the champions tour which was very cool for us to have an opportunity to do that but we have you covered everything is handcrafted custom made just to your specifications right here in sycamore illinois free shipping on all orders over $99 and uh, the equipment will play as good as anything out there, but at a much, much better price because we do it factory direct and we get feedback from you, our customers, of how the products work. So check everything out at GolfSub70.com. Questions, let us know. We are here to help with any fitting needs and hope you guys are playing some great golf this season. Thanks for listening. I also heard the story back in Australia when you were in high school in in winning a lot of the, the regional events and whatnot, and you had a coach that didn't think you had what it took to play golf at the highest level and that you sort of used that as a motivator to get to where you are today. Kind of looking back, did that really spark a fire in you to to say, like, basically to prove them wrong and to show how good you could be at this sport?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, as, a, as a kid, like I said, I was in the Air Force, My dad was in the Air Force, and we spent about two years at every place we lived in. I was up in the Northern Territory, out in you know forty forty plus degree heat, hitting balls off, off hard pan dirt under trees and shadows after school and you know, school time lunch, I'd go out to the oval and hit the teachers would let me hit ball on the on the oval, and I thought, well, you know what, I'm uh, I feel like uh, I want to go forward with this. And there was a Kelvin Grove School of Excellence in Brisbane where Ian Triggs was the uh, the head the head guy there, the head pro. I, I came all the way down from. Northern Territory, took the bus, Greyhound bus ride down. Took about, I think it was about 30 hours or something in the bus. Down to my nana's house, went to the school for an interview and um, Trixie came over and said, hit some balls for me. So I started hitting balls, sort of watched a little bit. And then he came back over later. He goes, oh, man, you're not good enough. Go away. Go away and practice. You're not good enough to come in. I'm like, holy crap. And at that point in time, I'd won numerous club championships around Australia at different golf courses and junior championships and stuff. Without a without a coach, and then um, I just sat there and sort of thought, "Well, who's this guy to say that to me?" You know, I've just I've worked my heart out, just as hard as I could, done all this stuff, and then just to say that, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you could say things like that to people, but you just put it in a much different wording. I mean, it's, it's for a sixteen, seventeen-year-old kid saying that; it's it's a little disheartening to some people. But I just sat there and said, "Well, you know what?" Well, this is motivation to me. I'm just going to prove him wrong. And away I went.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you use that. And then when you do turn professional and start that journey, what tours did you first play as a young professional? And then was there any guys that you played with, you know, back in the day that have sort of made it, you know, 20 years plus, you know, like you have, and made a career out of, is there some guys that you first started off with and were on the same journey you were and, and where did you play when you first started? Well, I,
1: I was very lucky and I went through the Australian PGA. I did a three-year apprenticeship. So I'm a fully qualified PGA member in Australia and uh, started playing the Australian Tour. In, in, in my third year of my traineeship, I was given a card to play on the Australian Tour and played the Aussie Tour and then went over to Canada because guys like Nathan Green, Tony Carolyn, who now caddies saw was playing there, uh, a whole heap of Aussie boys are there, and Jason Bone we all know jason bones had a few wins on tour and very successful he was playing there met those guys there's a whole heap of guys i met playing up on the canadian tour which some still play some don't and it was it was a great um great traveling thing for me to come out and play a tour for a few months over in another country uh i managed to keep my card but i i made a loss so we did that on credit card and i went back and played the australian summer and Money to pay off my debt, and back we went to Canada again to keep trying again. So, you know, it was it was something it was a little stressful using the credit cards to go over and do it. But you know, the tough times equal the good times. You got to know what how tough it is to appreciate when you've got a good.
0: Yeah, and I've you know from doing. 70 podcast episodes or whatnot it's so rare you know the Jordan Spieths of the world where you come out of college and you get a card and you went on tour and you're there There, it's he's the unicorn so many of you guys have grinded your way up and you know those victories and how you're playing now in your 40s it must be imagining extremely satisfying because there's periods of time like you said you're keeping a card net losing money at the end of the year yet you keep grinding through it's always amazing to me that the the journey that most professionals who do it for a long time are on it's it's a lot of hard work on the front end you know to get to the level that you guys are at i don't know if people realize how difficult that pathway is sometimes
1: yeah look there's a, there's a lot of guys that, that get some good backing when they first come out and they don't reach in their own pocket but do those guys really love doing this do they do they really want to do this i mean i i, I live to play golf I don't play golf to live. I live to play golf. It's what I want to do. I, I love the game. I love playing golf. And even if I wasn't a professional golfer, I'd still be playing golf every weekend as much as I possibly could. I just love playing golf. And I think that's a key to some guys being successful at it is they love playing golf. I mean, some guys hate turning up to work. I love turning up to work. I love my work, and that's that's a different. That's a passion that a lot of people have in all different sorts of industries. If you love your job, you seem to be successful at it because it's a passion and it's something you want to try extra hard at.
0: I couldn't agree more with that. Also, working with uh, when I was doing my research on this, you you got to work with Charlie Erb, who's a noted swing instructor. Worked with Greg Norman in in Australia and whatnot. And I know you've gotten to work with him. What made Charlie such a or makes Charlie such a great uh, teacher, and what did? how did you improve under under his guidance?
1: Well, see, so Earp is such a personable bloke. I mean, he's such a funny guy. He, just, he cracks me up all the time. Is uh, a massive personality down at Royal Queensland Golf Club. He was there forever, the, the golf pro there. Uh was a friend friend of my wife's parents. Uh, my wife grew up with, with the Erps with, with their children, and when I moved to Brisbane, I, I walked in and I said to the people, you know, Who's, who should I go and see? Who's the coach? I need to get a coach. And guys go, well, there's two people you see in Brisbane. One's Ian Triggs and one's Charlie Earp. And I went, oh, uh, well, okay, I know where I'm going. So I went down to Royal Queensland, which is, it's always an honor to go to Royal Queensland. It's it's the golf course in Brisbane. And and um, I was down there and, and managed to book in for a lesson with erpy It was before I started seeing my wife. And then, um, you know, erpy's a great teacher. He's a, he's a guy who wants to work on uh, like your your weaknesses, improve your strengths, but not change a great deal in the swing. He 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 recognizes uh, kids that are talented, people that have got talent, and he just tries to you know nurture that, make you better. And he's very good uh, with with mentally. He, he's always trying to get you you know mentally stronger, get you get you up and going, and and make you believe in yourself. And that that's a massive massive part of of this sport as a profession. And for the amateur as well who goes out for a lesson, you know, people want to enjoy it. And, and is is very good at making you enjoy your lesson, enjoy your work and, and making you feel really upbeat when you're finished.
0: Yeah. It seems like the best teachers in the world, you know, they take like a Butch Harmon or whatever and, you know, and thinking like two completely golf swing. Like they, they take what that athlete has and then, you know, fine tune it. I'm thinking, you know, he works with Dustin Johnson and he's worked with Mark Kalkovecchi. I mean, those swings are completely different yet. You know he made both guys improve so it's it's interesting how it, it seems like the best seem to take for in your instance with talents that you have and then how do you refine it and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it sounds like that's his method yep. more or less
1: that's pretty it's true you you need to nurture what somebody has you I mean the last thing you want to do is destroy what they're strong at and start from scratch because all of a sudden you're getting nowhere I and mean, i'm I'm sure many people said the Eric. You know, like has been said to me, a lot of people said to me, mate, you need to give up six months and go and work on your grip. I'm like, Are you kidding me? I I I am here because I can hit the ball. Same as Jim Furick. People say to Furyk, I think you should give up for six months, mate, and go and straighten that swing up. I mean
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Twenty five years later and what seventeen, eighteen wins in a major, that the Furick golf swing is has held up just fine over the I last think it's withstood the
1: <laughs> was, yeah, was stood the, the sands of time right now. It's he's done pretty well for himself.
0: Exactly. Um yeah, no, it's it's an interesting – I think that's how the best teachers work, where they, they, they just fine-tune what the athlete can do. And it's interesting how he kind of did that with you, and I'm assuming you were a better player for it. Correct. Living in the States but playing golf around the world, kind of a two-part question. How did you, how did you wind up in Florida to make your base, and how hard is the travel to play where you're playing – being based in the United States and then what's the advantage of, you know, of being in the United States as well?
1: Well, I've been traveling, playing golf since 1998, I guess, you know, all over the shop and wherever, and then coming to and fro from Canada. And then uh, I managed to secure a US PJ, a PJ tour card in, in four and then O five and a little bit in O six I played. And, you know, we moved, we moved around the U S trying to figure out where we're going to, going to live in, in late 2003, we saw a bit of the U.S., and in 2004, we decided we'd rent a place here at Ponte Bidra Beach, and it's very, very similar to Brisbane, where we where we come from. So we went out, it's a perfect place, and, I mean, it's a very laid-back, sort of slowish place compared to other other places in the U.S., so we decided this was us. So, you know, we've been here since. Um, the advantages of being... Here in the U.S. is, uh, I mean, obviously the lifestyle is very similar to Australia. Uh, The weather's fantastic and the tax breaks we get compared to being in Australia, you know, well and truly worth being here. And then traveling from here to to Asia or Europe, I mean, these days with the the prices of airfares, which are, are fairly reasonable if you buy them in advance, and it's... Not that far to travel anymore. It's, it's not such such a such a tough uh, journey anymore with the way the airlines are and the way the, the, the planes and you know everything's way more comfortable. And it's way easier to get places now. So I don't see that as being an issue. So just the, the matter of the, of the family being able to cope with me being away for extended periods of time, or they come out to me for five or six weeks and spend time with me. It's just it's more about managing the family than managing myself.
0: Does uh, TPC give you uh, practice privileges there at headquarters to allow you to play and practice when you want to?
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I had a, I had a, a Web.com card I didn't play on the Web.com, but I had a Web.com card for years, and that gives me you know uh, rights to go out and practice at TPC. But this year, I've lost my status in the Web.com because I didn't play well in the. enough FedEx Cup points. It was a very bad year last year, but I'm very fortunate. Guys like you know, Billy Horschel, Vijay Singh. Just, just a whole heap of guys that are down at TPC let me come as their guest to practice. And the guys at TPC are unbelievable. It's, it's one of the, well, I'll say it's the best practice facilities in the world. It is, it's a phenomenal place and I'm very fortunate to have a lot of guys that'll, you know, be be kind enough and gracious enough to, to let me come down there as their guest and practice and it's very good for me. It's, I'm, you know, I can't thank them enough. I don't use it very often because I'm not here very often, but when I do, I just hit my golf balls, disappear, minimal fuss. Just the facility is unbelievable.
0: You mentioned this earlier where you played the PGA Tour in 2006, and what was that experience like to play on the PGA Tour? Then what was the biggest difference you saw from the PGA Tour to the other professional tours that you played around the world?
1: Well, When I, when I first came in and started playing on the Tour in 04, uh I was a bit shell-shocked because just things are done in a, in a just way bigger. Everything's bigger. You know, The crowds are bigger. The, the way things are done are bigger. And it's, it took a little while for me to try and get used to that. I think the reason why the, the college kids are so much better at it now is because when, when the guys are going through college, they get to experience that a lot more than what, say, foreign players do. The, the difference between the tours, like I said, it's just that the television and then the crowds. Some of the crowds are just phenomenal in the U.S. They get great support, and it's – I mean, you look at the Masters over there. I know it's a major, but that was phenomenal. It's it's the same with the Open Championship. The Open Championship's massive as well, but in the U.S. it just seems like that's really a weekly occurrence.
0: Yeah, and I think from talking to the other guys, I don't know if you would agree with this, but every person who plays the PGA Tour for that first year feels they're at a little bit of an advantage that you're – competing against guys who have also seen these golf courses for 15 10 12 years and you guys have to learn that course in one week did, did you notice that effect as well when you got out there that you're spending a lot of time trying to learn the course versus maybe doing some other things
1: yeah well the yardage books have improved as well the yardage books these days are so much better back back when i started the pj tour the, the books were Oh, were terrible. Oh, horrendous books. You might as well just sprayed a they should have just sprayed a white, red and yellow dot on the fairways and said, you know, one fifty, one hundred, fifty metres, that's what they should have done. And the guys they knew what the guys at established guys knew what tournaments they were going to play because they'd come out and play. I played it you know, we played half at Hartford, Connecticut. And I had a practice round and the guys are going, like, uh oh, pins cut here, pins cut here, pins cut here, pins cut here. I'm like, that can't be right. And then comes the tournament, bang. But so they've been playing 10, 12 years there, the pins are cut in nearly exactly the same spot every day. They know what the, – they've got these notes in the yardage book, know which way the putt's going to break. In that way, it's well and truly an advantage.
0: Is it a goal again to play the PGA Tour if you could get there maybe by world rankings or WGC events where you could qualify sort of that direction versus Web or Q School again? Is is that something you're you're, you're trying to aim for or are you completely comfortable just playing – Uh, European-Asian PGA Tour at this juncture of your career?
1: Well, look, I'm I'm not going to play a full year on web.com. I I don't believe in going out there. I I have a family. I have a place somewhere I need to to pay bills, and the the costs of playing, say, on the web.com are very akin to playing on the PGA Tour, and if I can sit there and play European Tour and Asian Tour and make a good living, then I'm quite happy to do that. If I manage to play fantastic in a WGC or a major and get status to play in the states, of course I'll come and play here. I mean, who wouldn't? I'd, I'd love to play here again, but it's not something I'm gonna. It's going to wake me up in the middle of the night saying I'd love to play for PGA two again. That's it's not really something that worries me. And you know, like I said, if it happens, it happens
0: yeah good golf will take care of it itself right and if it's yeah if it's in the cards it's in the cards No, it makes sense versus I talk to those guys on the web and that is a man that's a grind as well so yeah, I agree those uh, guys
1: do it, those guys do it tough I mean it used to be a tour where people could drive from tournament to tournament now some of these guys are flying to another country and then they fly back back and forward across the
0: us and you know it's it's pretty brutal. Well, yeah. If you look at the schedule, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's it's like all over the place. Because guys have talked about that same thing, how it used to be able to kind of do a pattern with it, and it's it's like all over. So that's yep. a, it's a full time commitment plus. So I, yeah, I mean, I think and what you're saying makes sense. You do it properly. You, you do it properly. You've, you've got um, you know
1: you've you've got a guy out there in your bag. You, you want to have a professional guy. You can't expect him to come out and and go broke working for you as well. You know. He's got bills to pay. He's got things to do. So, you know, all these things sort of add up.
0: Well, let's talk about my favorite event in the world, the Open Championship. I think it's the greatest tournament in the world. I mean, Masters is a second close, but I love the Open. You've got to play in there or play in that tournament a multitude of times. And I'm assuming, being from Australia, that one has to be dear to your heart of, you know, a huge event. What's it like to tee it up in the Open? What's the experience and the magnitude and. Is it your favorite major championship?
1: It's awesome, man. It's it is it is. I mean, obviously, uh, in my rankings, you know, I'd I'd love to win a to win an Open Championship and then and then a, then a Masters, then a U.S. Open, then a PGA. I mean, all four of them, I'd, I'd, I'd take any one of them. But you know, if someone if someone was to say what's the favorite one, it would be the Open Championship because it's played on a roto of unbelievable golf courses the history behind it, the people that have won it is unbelievable. Uh, it's just, and when you're there, it's, I mean, I was very fortunate to, to play St. Andrews in the open championship it was Jack's, Jack's last one, my first one. And that's the Sandy comparison we got in the open, unfortunately, but uh, it's, it was, oh, man, it's unbelievable. I've got, I've been able to play two open championships at St. Andrews and both of them were unbelievable.
0: Is it, you you, you know, you'd probably try to tell yourself, right, it's just another event, I'm a professional, I can do this, but playing in the open on the first tee of the home of golf at St. Andrews, like how do you, A, not get super pumped up, and B, there's got to be some different level of, like, good nerves? I don't think you'd be nervous, but, like, good nerves. Just, like, you're playing in the greatest, biggest event that there is in golf on that course. I mean, that has to be awesome. Well, fortunately, fortunate
1: enough, the tee shot, you know, you can you can nearly fat chunk a three line down the fairway. you don't have to stand there and, and laser a, a driver off a tee. I mean you can you can hit your tee shot and you just enjoy the walk out. <laughs> it is a an amazing feeling. And that that golf course is special when you're just playing there with your mates. But when you get there and the, the grandstand's set up and the people are everywhere and then you know, they announce your name on the tee, it's yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing feeling. Another one that had to be pretty cool. You got to play in the Olympics, um, you know, to represent your home country. You know, how, how was that whole experience and how was the actual architecture of that golf course you guys played for the Olympics? Well,
1: I'll, I'll start with the course first. It, it, it's, it was unfortunate that the golf course wasn't probably another five or six years older. I mean, it was the design of the course I thought was fine. The, the the ground probably wasn't quite as firm for the way the course was designed to be played it um it was it was just an okay golf course but like i said it needed a little bit more time to sort of bed in and a little have a little bit more say uh, roll out of the golf ball the uh the event itself oh, that's well you know, some people are lucky to do it more than once uh, i've just feel very privileged to represent my country and you know be one of those guys Back in the fray of golf in the Olympics. Uh, at one stage there, I thought I'd never had a chance. And then all of a sudden, I played fantastically and, and managed to get myself into the position because Jason Day and Leishman and Adam Scott said they weren't going to play. And then all of a sudden, I was the first guy in line to be to represent Australia. And then Marcus Fraser joined me in the team. And we had we had a blast. Ian Baker Finch, our captain, couldn't ask for a better captain. You know, a security card, big Dazza Security guard Dazo, he, he's he was amazing, and then I had a brother-in-law in the bag for me, and and Frey's had, you know, one of his best mates on the bag for him, and we had a we had a blast. The whole week just went so fast. That's, that was the problem; it actually went too quick.
0: That opening ceremony ceremony must be something to be a part of as well, right? The pride you must have of walking out there, representing Australia, and being a part of that. And like I said, history again of golf being back in the Olympics. Like that's that's got to be the coolest thing in the world.
1: Yeah. It's Unfortunately, we didn't do the opening ceremony or the closing ceremony. We were told just to come in for the golf and then leave. Really? So we didn't have to sort of what? Yeah. But, um, you know, because we, we had up a tournament, we had a schedule, we had to play, I didn't get to do that. And, I, you know, sort of regret I regret not doing it. But in another, you know, the other way, it is it is what it is. We just we stuck to the schedule that we had, and that was just the way it is.
0: Well, still one hell of an interesting experience and cool experience on top of it. But, um Got a few more. These are just kind of quick hitters, and we'll get you back to the, the yep. practice tee here. So the most underrated player on the Asian or European tour, in your opinion, that he's so good and people just seem to not notice him and flies under the radar? Oh Well, um, I'll tell you, <laughs>
1: there. I wouldn't want to say one because what I've seen in Asia, there's a lot of guys that get very close to breaking through and. and they just need to to be able to... Uh, well, I'll tell you, okay. Kiridek, Abby Barnrat. is now playing in the U.S. He can move the ball. He's got all the shots. He's got a great short game. He's a great putter. You know, just see him settle in and feel more comfortable over here, and then I don't think it'll be long until he can possibly forge out a win. He knows how to win, and he's a very good ball striker.
0: Yeah, he seems to have no weaknesses in his game. It's like he does everything really well from what I've seen of him since he's played more in the States.
1: I think the weakness might be he uh, has too many shots.
0: He's so creative and, yeah. I mean, <laughs>
1: it's so good. I'm telling you, mate. it's He's so good.
0: Uh, best golf shot you've ever seen hit on tour? It could even be a shot you've hit or another guy that you're playing with that you just said, you got to be kidding me. That's the most fantastic thing I've ever seen.
1: Man, unfortunately, I have a very short memory for that sort of stuff. So I try, I try and forget the good ones, and I, tr- and I don't really remember the bad ones. But uh, uh, man, I, I couldn't, I really couldn't answer that honestly because
0: I just couldn't. It's interesting from asking it from the guys in the PJ tour. A lot of them usually have like a Tiger thing, where it's like two iron out of a trap or something. He's, well, he's got to be laying it up, and all of a sudden, this you know two hundred and forty yard rocket from back in the day comes flying out, and they just go. Oh, that, I ain't got that one, right? So it's always interesting to kind of yeah. get the perspective sometimes of just crazy shots they've seen play. But
1: well, unfortunately, unfortunately, I haven't played with Tiger. I haven't played with Tiger at all. So I've only ever seen those shots on TV. You haven't I'm played with them? Sure. No, no. I mean, when when Tiger was at his well, back at his, he's closer to being well, you win a Masters. You, you can't say he's at his peak, but he's he's flying again. But back at his peak, and you know. 04, 05, 06, obviously he was in a different category to me, so when the draw came out, I was at a different time. But, you know, if you weren't in the last two or three groups, you weren't going to be paired with him. Most most tournaments, is was in the last two or three groups on the weekend, so unfortunately I didn't play good enough to get paired with him.
0: Well, you haven't played with him yet, but, you know, how about we'll, – we'll revisit that story when you get to play with him, Then you can let me know if he hit a shot that that kind of made, <laughs> you, made you think about, like, okay, I didn't see that one coming. Well, I got one last one. The The coolest thing you ever bought for yourself after a victory? Oh, coolest thing ever. Uh, probably my 1968 Chevelle. That's a good one, right? That was a reward to yourself. What tournament did you win for and then went out and bought that one?
1: Man, I just had to – it wasn't a tournament in particular. I just had to keep, keep getting to goals and, I mean – we're not talking heaps of money here. we're talking forty thousand dollars for a car. you know I didn't go out and buy a four hundred thousand dollar car or anything. I bought an old classic i'm old school i love I love the old all the old stuff, so just bought a nineteen sixty eight Chevelle for three ninety six big block in it. Just remember my dad's cars, the old cars he used to hear him start up. It's loud, it's obscene. just love the sound of it, and that's just the way I am.
0: Well, that's perfect. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's been fun to watch the journey this year. Keep playing some really great golf and uh, you know, keep at it. You're playing well and uh, look forward to seeing what you do the rest of the year.
1: Thanks, Jason. Cheers, mate.